Good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, and glad you're, glad you're here this weekend. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can click to or turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. That's the last chapter in 2 Corinthians. Um, if you don't have a Bible or an app that, that has a scripture on it, no worries. Uh, the words are going to come up on the screens in a, in a few minutes as I, as, I, as, I, as I read them. And so after 22 weeks, we're going to end this series on 2 Corinthians. And so it's been a long journey for us as we've walked, walked through 2 Corinthians line by line and word by word and tried to get everything out of it that we could get out of it for us and to apply it uh, to the times in which, in which we live. And so I am finishing this series and I'm going to take 2 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter, 13 verses, and we're going to walk through it together because there's one, there's one common theme, there's one really important theme uh, that, I, that I want you to grab out of this. And so uh, the title of this message is, is Standing for Truth. And so I don't think there's a more appropriate title. A subject that we could talk about in the season and times in which we live as far as this issue of standing for the truth, what is the truth, and what truth do we stand on, and then how do we stand on that truth. And Paul answers all of that uh, for us and for the Corinthians there in, in this chapter. And so it's interesting to me, but um, after 26 years of ministry here, I've said a lot of controversial stuff. And so uh, last week, it turns out, I said the most controversial thing that I've ever said here at Fellowship of the Rockies. Even all the way through, the, uh, all the way through COVID, I said some controversial stuff. Uh, but, uh, but last week, it appears that I said one of the most controversial things I've ever said uh, in service. And so I'll just real quickly, in case you weren't here, last week I convinced as a Texan, 26 years here in Pueblo, Colorado, that I'd never had a slopper. And that, that was met with shock, disbelief. And so this last, this last week, I have learned you guys are serious about the slopper. Uh, you guys, I mean, you guys, you guys are, are serious about the slopper. And so I just want, you to, want to let you know, this last week, I got that whole deal taken care of. Uh, I drove down to New Mexico, and I had a hatch green chili slopper. I am just kidding. I am just kidding. <laughs> the pastors dared me to say that. Actually, Pastor Dwayne is the one that. <laughs> and so, so I'm totally kidding. So uh, that part. But the other part is I did, I did have a slopper this last week. Pastor Matt, Pastor Eli uh, were like freaking out over the whole deal. And so they decided they needed to, like, mentor me in the world of sloppers. And so they took me, and we got a slopper. And listen, I'm not even going to tell you where we go, because that sets off a whole other set of controversy, right? <laughs> now, and so I'm not even, and, and tomorrow, I'm going to someone's, I'm meeting someone. He goes, no, he says, you need to go here, right? Because from what I understand, you all have your spot. And you are, that's where you go and get a slopper. Can I tell you this just funny story that we need to move on? <laughs> I'm trying to explain this to one of my friends in Texas. Have you ever tried to explain a food to someone that has no reference of what you're talking about? I mean, it's like from their reference, not your reference. And so I, I and this guy's like a hardcore Texan type, redneck type friend. And so I'm, I, I says, hey... I, says, I told him, I said, next time, you're not going to believe this, but next time you come visit me in, in Pueblo, I'm going to take you to, slop, to get a slopper. He goes, what is that? I said, well, 
you know, it's like a green chili slopper. He goes, oh, it's like a, a chili cheeseburger. I go, no. When we say chili in Texas, we think meat and beans. When they say chili here, that's something totally different. And he goes, well, what is this? What is this? I don't understand. And I said, well, here's the deal. They, they, they take a hamburger. They put it in a bowl of soup. <laughs> and, and you eat the hamburger with a spoon. He goes, you ate a cheeseburger with a spoon? Say it ain't so. I says, no, I ate a cheeseburger with a spoon. He hung up. I haven't talked to him since. He literally hung up on me. And it's like he has totally disowned me. And so when you look at this issue, and listen, when you look at this issue, you realize that, that people are passionate about the things they believe, right? They're passionate about this issue of green chilies and all these other things. And now, listen, let me tell you something. Now, I have seen the light, and I am a believer. I think I should have one once a week. I've been missing a lot this, this last time. But, but when you look at this issue, you realize that when you get into this thing of standing for truth, when you get into this thing, some of the things that we fight against is perceived truth. Perceived truth a lot of times is based upon maybe some truths, maybe some half-truths. It's based upon culture, tradition, emotional, some psychological things going on, some emotional things going on. And Paul comes to this place, because this is happening in the church in Corinth. And Paul comes to this place and says, I, ne I need to help you understand what it means to stand for truth. Now listen, this discussion, this argument has been going on since like the beginning of time, right? You can go all the way back to the Gospels and before Jesus goes to the cross... He has a conversation with Pilate about this one thing. And it's so fascinating. I just want to read you a portion of it. John chapter 18, verse 36. Here's, what, here's the exchange between Pilate and Jesus. And, and this exchange is still happening today. Oh, and by the way, it is even getting heightened. It is even getting more emotional in the times in which we live. And so verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, what would they do? They would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You're a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I've come into the, into the world for this. To testify what? To testify for the truth and to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth, what? listens to my voice, listens to my word. And then Pilate asks, well, then what is truth? Then what is truth? See, that, that's the conversation today, right? And it seems like the stakes for this issue and the stakes for this question are getting more and more emotional. It is getting higher and higher and higher. This debate has gone on through the ages. The Christian believes in absolute truth. The Christian believes that, that God created the world and man sinned and alienated himself from God. But in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came down to earth as God and in God's truth and went to the cross for our sins and died on the cross. The third day he, was ro he rose again and as a result of that, we can have forgiveness of sin. We can have eternal life. The believer believes that scripture contains the accurate records of Jesus Christ and, his and, and how we're supposed to live and that we can stand on that. But the, the unbeliever, 
The non-believer says, you know what? There is no absolute truth. What is truth? There is, no, there is no absolute truth. Truth is up to the individual. Truth is up to the person. Truth is relative. It's okay for you to have your truth, and I can have my truth because nobody really knows. Everybody is free to kind of do their own things. Humanism says this. Humanism basically says, I'm going to live life based upon my emotions, and I'm going to live life based upon my feelings. And the Christian says, oh, no. No, I'm going to live my life based upon the truth, based upon the word of God. And so these are the tensions that we're having right now. These are the tensions that we face in COVID. These are tensions that we face in the culture right now. And, and, and Paul begins speaking into this issue in 2 Corinthians 13, 8. He makes this interesting statement that we're going to back up and we're going to start in verse 1 and we'll walk through this. But here's what Paul said. Paul says, for we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth. So now you know where the title of this message came from, Standing for Truth. And so when you look at this issue, we cannot do what Paul says. We cannot do anything against the truth. We can only do, do something for the truth. We can oppose the truth. We can violate the truth. Uh, but you and I cannot change, cannot change the truth. And we are people as Christians, as believers, People walking in the light, no longer walking in darkness. We'll understand that. We can only stand for truth. And Paul, Paul was like this, this man that was willing to stand for, for truth. And he summarizes in 2 Corinthians 13, the reason we're handling this all together, he summarizes all of his letters to the Corinthians. We have record of two. There was actually three, but we have record of two. And so he's summarizing everything now when he comes to, to this and about his knowledge of Jesus Christ. And listen, there's a lot of people that think Paul was like hardcore. But Paul, when Paul stood for truth, it was mixed with love and compassion. Christianity is truth balanced with love. Truth balanced with grace. Truth balanced with compassion. So I'm going to give you five things, and I know that's, that's more. Usually I do three because that's what I do. But today, to get through this chapter, we have five things, five things that we need to talk about, five principles, in other words, for confrontation, five principles for standing for the truth. And so the first one is this. Truth always requires facts. Truth always requires facts. For, for some... Their truth is like perceived truth. And perceived truth, I'm telling you, can be more powerful than, than, than truth for them. Perceived truth is this issue that people come to like believe that something is true. Perceived truth is a combination of, of, of things. It can be uh, some half-truths. It can be some rumors. It can be some attitudes. It can be some emotion. It's often based on some facts, but it becomes kind of some half-truths. It's, it's filtered in their life through, through cultural issues, traditional issues, emotional issues as they begin to try to pro proclaim the truth. And sometimes people can be so captivated by perceived truth that they may be even unable to accept factual truth when it's presented to them. You ever been in a situation? You ever been in a, in a situation where it's in your family with a friend and, and you're like in this little conflict or there, there's been some hurt feelings and someone has perceived truth about your motives or perceived truth about your actions or perceived truth about what you did and even when you laid out the facts, they wouldn't accept it because their, their perceived truth is running, is running so strong. See, this is what's happening in the church in, in Corinth. Their perceived truth 
was more powerful to them than the actual truth. This is, this is why Paul's about ready to lose his mind. Because he couldn't break through like perceived truth. He couldn't help them. See, this, was, this, this is Pilate's problem. This is the people in, in Corinth in their church, their problem. They, they, they believe the false teachers. They believe the, the super apostles, as Paul would refer to. And Paul is trying to help them and stand on the truth. So verse 1, 2 Corinthians 13, he says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Paul's saying, guess what? I'm coming through a third time. And he says, I'm, I'm going to deal with some integrity issues. I'm going to deal with some of these perceived truths that, that, that you have. But, but here's the interesting thing. He reassured them. He said, hey, guess what? I'm not going based upon emotions. I'm not going by, you know, attitudes. And I'm not going by traditional stuff. I'm not going by rumors. I'm not going by any of those things. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to some witnesses. I'm going to find out the facts. And I'm, and I'm going to discuss with you. And I'm going to stand for the truth. And so basically what Paul is doing is... is He's going back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19.15. He says, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person. Whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Paul goes back to that. Paul understands the, 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 the danger of living your life based upon emotion, living your life based upon rumor, living your life based upon hearsay. Living your life based upon preconceived uh, of truth. In fact, is that's why we have um, that's why we have the the four witnesses in the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that that witnessed witnessed the resurrection, uh, witnessed the 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 witnessed Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And so, we as Christians, we should never accept hearsay. We should never. Um, except every rumor that, that is circulated. Uh, we, we should never entertain an accusation against someone else unless it's confirmed. Either prove the rumor with undeniable testimony or be willing to reject it. Listen, this principle, whether it's in church, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in family, whether it's in a community, listen, would save us all a lot of hurt, right? If we just went by this, and so this is, why, this is why, as believers, we should not be gullible people. This is why, believers, we have to be discerning. When we're on social media, when we're watching cable news, that we don't get sucked into somebody else's perceived truth. This is what's happening here in Corinth. That we don't get sucked into somebody else's agenda. And they begin using us because we're just gullible people. And Paul said, don't worry. I am, listen, I am not going off a rumor. I am not, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure it's true. The second thing is this. Truth sometimes, that's an important word. Truth sometimes requires a confrontation. Truth in life sometimes requires a confrontation. Verse 2, he goes on. He says, I gave them, I gave a warning when I was present the second time. And now I give a warning while I'm absent to those who, who sinned and before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient. When I read that, every time I read that, I hear my dad's voice. Don't make me come in there. Right? Don't, do not make me spank you. That was in the days when we spanked kids. Do not, I got plenty. <laughs> or another one, another one. 
my favorite when we were traveling. Do, make, do not make me pull this car over. I will pull this car over now. That was back in the days before car seats and seat belts, and we drove land barges. You know, we had a Delta uh, 88. It was like a, it was a tank. I mean, it, it took a quarter of a mile to turn it around. It had four doors. I mean, it, you could, as a kid, you could get up and walk around the bench seats in the back. And so, so you, didn't, you couldn't buckle kids in, so there was no, like, personal space. And so my sister and I, were in the back seat, and so we're, we're like poking at each other and fighting. And so my dad's like, don't make me pull this car over. And then my dad has this revelation. He's like, okay, there's an imaginary line. I'm drawing an imaginary, imaginary line right now behind in, in, in this seat. And so, Charlie, this is your side. Cheryl, this is your side. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do not cross. If you cross, do not make me pull this car over. My dad loves to tell this story. And so 15 minutes later, all of a sudden, my sister said, Dad, Charlie's looking outside my window. We pulled the car over. <laughs> and so, so this, is, this is Paul. Paul was, he, he's like, I'm going to confront these rebellious Christians face to face. And he's, listen, he's done everything he could to keep that from happening. He sent them a letter. He sent Titus as an ambassador to straighten things, things out. Nothing worked. These people would not get off of this perceived truth. And finally, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to come. And this time, I'm probably not going to be that lenient. Don't make me come back to Corinth. Don't make me, do not make me do that. Can, can I just say this? One of the reasons that I, this principle, one of the reasons I added sometimes in there, truth sometimes requires a confrontation. An offense does not require an immediate rebuke. There has to be discernment. Can you imagine if we went around just rebuking everybody that offended us? And I can show you in Scripture over and over where, where God had prophets wait before they confronted, wait till it was the right time. And sometimes, listen, sometimes it is not like, it's not like an immediate rebuke. And listen, that word sometimes, truth sometimes requires a, conf a confrontation, that takes discernment. That takes experience. That takes wisdom, knowing when to confront, how to confront. What, how, do, how do you do that? Because everybody knows, right? Confrontation's not easy. Confrontation's not fun. I mean, it can cause you to lose sleep. It can cause you to have stress. It can cause you to carry anxiety. You may not sleep the night before. You may rehearse. Ever done that? Where you rehearse the speech over and over and over. Isn't it interesting? Whenever we rehearse that speech over in our minds, we always win. It's like unbelievable wisdom. This issue of truth. Paul's saying, and I, I'm, I'm, I think it's time. He had waited a long time. Matthew 18, 15 tells us if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's, 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 a, that's a big phrase, you and him. If he listens to you, then you've won a brother. So, so the risk is you could lose a relationship. But the win is that you could win a brother over and you could deepen the relationship. Here's the third one. Truth is always founded on Jesus Christ. Just, truth is a person. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. So truth is a, is a person. Verse 3. 
Since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. So here's what the Corinthians were saying, and I think we've all had this happen to us maybe, maybe once or twice. Uh, the Corinthians were apart, uh, apparently sneering and saying, who is Paul to tell us how to live? Don't you know Paul's life? Can we run through just real quickly for you the sin issues in Paul's life? Don't you guys remember Paul? Paul was that guy that was like persecuting Christians. He was doing everything he could to stamp out the local church. He was going from place to place. And when he ran out of, when he ran out of Christians in Jerusalem to persecute and attack, he headed out to Damascus. And that's where he had this life-changing moment with the Lord. And so, so who, who is Paul? Who is Paul to tell us how to live? People do that, right? You ever confronted someone? And you ever confronted someone with the truth and you did it with compassion and you did it with love and they didn't like it? So what do they do? They immediately respond back and say, oh yeah, who are you to tell me how to live? Let me tell you all about your faults. Let me tell you how you mishandled this. Let me tell you what you did about this. And all of a sudden, everything melts down. See, this is what's happening. This is what's happening in Corinth. And Paul responds to them by saying, you know what? I'm really not representing myself. I'm still working through some issues. I still got a ways to go. Yes, I'm, but I am, listen, I am not representing myself. I am representing Jesus Christ whose word is true regardless, regardless of what you think of me. Regardless of anything. And, and so, and Jesus did. I mean, he admits this. It's amazing. He said, Jesus, listen, Jesus did appear weak on the cross. Because, see, that's one of the things that they were saying about Paul. And he says, when, when, when Jesus was dying, you're right, his enemies, they sneered at him. And they accused him of being weak. Yeah, you could save others, but you cannot save yourself. If you're so powerful, then why don't you come down off of the cross? That's why he said, verse 4, watch this. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by God's power. So this is what's happening. Paul is trying to help them understand that, guess what? I am not coming and representing myself. This is not my preconceived truth. These are not, these, this is not my perception. Man, here, 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 it, here it is. And he says, wait a minute. There was a moment, there was a time in history that, that has made all the difference in the world. It's made all the difference in my life. And Jesus Christ conquered the grave and when he came out of the tomb. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then he says, and you, speaking of us, you go. And you go and preach to the nations. So I, I, I'm not coming and representing my opinions. I'm representing Jesus Christ, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but guess what? My words, his word, will never, will never pass away. And so he says, I don't really represent myself. I'm representing the word. And so he goes in John 8, 32, in the, in, in the Gospels, Jesus says, you will, you, you will know the truth. And guess what? And the truth will, the truth will set you free. So it's, it, it, so it's our knowledge of truth. It's our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that sometimes, sometimes, when people are going the wrong way, when someone that we love and someone that we care about, when they are going the wrong way and we know they're headed for disaster, the bridge is out and they don't even know it. That it requires us, 
love and compassion and truth. It requires of us if we love them and if we care for them. But we understand truth is not based upon our intellect. It's not based upon our power. But it's based upon the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that does not change. That's why Paul said that we, we can do anything to oppose the truth. But it's, it's absolute. And so rather than oppose it, we need to spread it. And Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And we need to make a difference as individuals, as a church, that we're a light to a dark world. We're a light on a hill. And we may not have the, the biggest titles, the best education, the most articulate spokesperson, but we stand solidly on the truth of Jesus Christ. And sometimes there comes a time when we have to confront with love and compassion. The fourth thing is this. Truth always requires personal reflection. And it's just so fascinating to me as Paul just walks through this. Um, verse 5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Would you just make sure you're a believer? He's talking to this group of, would you just make sure you're a believer? Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. Over and over in scripture, we're, we're, we're admonished. We're encouraged. Examine yourself. Examine your life. Before, before you confront somebody else, before you get into that mode, would you just at least examine your life? Does your life, are, are you lining up with Scripture? Are you standing on the truth of Jesus Christ? I mean, examine your own hearts. It seems like in this time, people are more comfortable examining the lives of others than they are first examining their lives. Matthew chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye and look. There's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So Paul is like pressing in on the Corinthians, and he's like, would you just examine yourself? And they had been focusing on Paul, and they had been so focused on Paul and everything that Paul was doing, they were no longer looking at their own life. And so the, the quest begins for this issue of truth. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. I mean, this was a common theme through this. He said, let a person examine himself in the... In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. And that's why communion, that's why communion, we have that moment. We, we examine, we look at our lives. And so, so we don't examine other people and we, we don't evaluate the performance of others. And so church, listen, church is not a place where we put God on exhibit. Per church is a place where we experience him. And the way that we experience him is, oh Lord, search my, search my heart. Oh Lord, if there's an offensive way in me, Point it out so that I can make the adjustments, so that I can make the change. I mean, church is this place to where we understand that we, he, he takes delight in us. We're in his presence. And it's like us looking at the, the, the scriptures, seeing where, where we need to make, maybe make some adjustments in our life. The fifth and the last thing is this, is truth is always more effective with compassion. Truth is more effective with compassion. 
compassion. And, 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 and when we look at Paul, we think, we think, yeah, Paul was like this type A personality. He was this in-your-face guy. He didn't really care so much about the love quotient. Paul was a truth guy. He was a truth guy. But when you look at this, and we're going to read these scriptures, and we're going to blow this false belief out of the water, Paul was a compassionate guy. Paul cared deeply, deeply about pers- uh, people. And I think, uh, I think in this day and time, Paul has gotten a bad rap. Paul has gotten this bad rap that he's this hard-charging hard guy that didn't really care about people. Watch this, verse 9. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. So ha- all of a sudden we're seeing this verse is mixed with compassion. He cares about these people. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would become mature. I'm, even the per- people that are attacking Paul, he says, I want you to know I want the best for you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Verse 10. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I am there, I may not have to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me. For what? For the building up. For the building up of people, not for the tearing down. See, with truth, you can either tear people down or you can build people up. I mean, this is what Paul's saying. And then he goes on and he says, finally... Brothers and sisters, rejoice, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the the God of love and peace will be with you. This is the recipe for walking with peace in life. You want to have peace in life? He gave it, verse 11. Become mature, emotionally and spiritually mature. Be encouraged. Understand what this means and be of the same mind. Try to walk in unity. Just try to walk in unity and then, then be at peace. And then verse 13, he goes on. And it's his, it's his benediction. It's amazing. Look what he does. He mixes the Trinity in there. And he goes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It is so important. This is why Paul's ending this letter. That we not only have a love of truth, but we have a love of people. Truth and compassion is the way of the Christian. Truth and love is the way of the Christian. Remember in the Gospels, just real quickly, remember the Gospels. When some people like were attacking Jesus and they rebuked Jesus and James and John said, you want us to call down thunder from heaven? You want us to call down fire from heaven? And we'll annihilate these people. It's the way some live their life. We'll just call down fire from heaven. We'll just annihilate you. We'll cancel you. And Jesus spoke about no. Some people can become so jealous for the truth that they just appear to be angry all the time. I mean, it's like they, it's like they hate people. They get red-faced. They shout. They call people names. They degrade people. They demean people. They mimic, mock people. They make fun of people. We'll never successfully communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with ugly moods and bad tempers. We never, we never communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with clenched fist. And yes, there's people that go to the opposite extreme, opposite extreme and they go so far into loving people, they, they, they compromise the truth. And some people get so passive that they don't want to do 
believe anything or stand for anything that would be controversial. And unfortunately, some churches are caving in to that right now. Love has to be balanced with Christianity. I mean, that's why Jesus prayed that we'd be sanctified by the truth, and guess what? And that we would love one another, we'd have unity. Ephesians 4.15, Paul just tells the Corinthians, he says, by, by speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way in, into him who is the head of Christ. And we should be people. Listen, we should be people that love the truth and we love people at the same time. We don't have time to read the verse, but in Acts 26, verse 16 through 18, it was the call that, it was the call that God gave the apostle Paul when he, when he saved him. And it's just a reference to that on the Damascus Road. And he says, Paul, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm commissioning you, I'm calling you to call people out of darkness into the light. And when we as Christians, we understand, we understand Scripture, that we were once in darkness, and now, and now we're in the light. And when you're, when you're in the darkness, I don't, we can't see anything, right? We just kind of we just, we just stumble around. Nothing's really clear. I mean, we just we bump into things. We bump into each other. It's just frustrating to be in darkness, right? And so just a couple of questions, and I have a couple of stories, and we're going to close this morning. But So how do we relate? How do we relate to people that don't believe in Jesus? How do we relate to people that don't agree with us? How do we relate to people that have different views than us? I mean, how do we relate to people that are walking in darkness and bump, bumping into things and stumbling through life? I mean, how, how do we relate to people that don't have our same beliefs and don't have our same belief of truth? Should we, should we be angry at them? Should we, like, judge them? Should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Do we talk down to them? Do we humiliate them? Or do we remember that, guess what? We have the light, and they're walking in darkness. When, 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 I, when I read that, I remembered that when I was back in Texas with my mom and I was helping her through the storm and Karen was with me, we'd lost all power in the neighborhood and, and so the freeze was coming. I'd already turned off all the power in our house, I mean all the water in our house. And, and so, but the neighborhood was like dark. It was like a third world country. And so I happened to, I happened to look out in the front yard and my mom's next door neighbor, Frank, is out there and he doesn't have a flashlight. And there's no street lights. I mean, it's dark. It is dark. And he has to get his water off or he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna destroy his house. And Frank is an elderly man. And Frank is out there. And he's almost on all fours. And he's stumbling around in the darkness. And he's trying to find the water meter. And he's trying to figure out his own off, turn it off, and all that other stuff. And so I have a flashlight. So what do I do? Do I go out and stand on the, on the front porch and turn my light on and make fun of Frank because he doesn't have a flashlight? Do I degrade him? Do I demean him? Do I call him names and say, you should have known this was coming? You know, don't you have any batteries? Don't you have any flashlights? You know, what is wrong with you? Or am I willing to walk out and say, hey, Frank, do you need a light? I've been there. I've been in darkness. Do, do you need a light? Is there anything I can do to help you? Fifteen years ago, just a story I've never told here at Fellowship of the Rockies, but 15 years ago, I had preached a message that was one of those hot topic messages that I knew some people were going to have some strong feelings against. And I'd preached this message to the very best of my ability. I'm standing in the foyer, and I'm, I mean, it is packed that day, and, and people are filing out. And all of a sudden, we had a first-time guest, a man. And he walked up to me, and this man, you could tell, was angry. 
and he cussed me out in front of everybody, standing there in the foyer. And so he cusses me out. He talked about me, talked about my mama, talked about my heritage, told me that he didn't agree with everything I just said, that I was a horrible person. And he used some pretty strong, I mean, this was not like PG. I mean, this was, this was some pretty strong language. And he just cussed me out. And so someone was standing next to me, and a lot of people heard this. And, so, and then he just walks off. And so I turned to someone else and says, well, that a God, that, I says, well, well, that will bless you. And I says, good thing, I got two more sermons to preach. Maybe I'll change my topic after this. And so, so uh, and he laughed. And, and, I, and I thought about that man all that week. Thought I'd never see him again. That next week, in walks this man again. And I'm like, I'm not believing this. This man walks in, he walks up to me, he's a little embarrassed. And he says, hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, kind of. <laughs> I go, yeah, I remember you. And he goes, oh, man. He said, uh, I got a question for you. I still don't agree with you. I thought that was horrible what you said. But I got a question. Am I welcomed here? That's a big question. I think that's a question culture's asking right now in churches. He said, am I, am I welcomed here? And I kind of laughed and says, oh, <laughs> you're not just welcomed here. You're very welcomed here. Fact is, I'm so glad to see you back. But can I ask you a favor? He goes, yeah. I said, do you have email? <laughs> he goes, yeah, why? I says, can you email me your comments, you know, or call me or something so nobody has to witness this? We had, we had children in the room. And he said, yeah, he said, I was a little over the top. I think I had too much to drink. I said, okay. I said, you're, you're, you're very welcomed here. The next week that man came back, the next week that man came back, the next week that man came back, and then I was sitting right there when him and his wife got baptized right over there. And over 15 years, I've watched God change this man's life. Many of you have served alongside of ministry with this man, and you wouldn't even know it today. If I told you his name and I told you what God, you would be totally shocked. Can you imagine what would have happened if I had truth without love? And if I sat in the foyer and says, no, you use non-church words. That is not how you behave in church. That is not how you talk to me. You're a bad testimony. You're a bad witness. I can't believe you did that. No, you're not welcomed here. That's why. Believers. Truth with love. Truth with compassion. That we understand, guess what? We stand for the truth. But we do it in a way with love and compassion for the building up, not the tearing down. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?